This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. That you would help us understand how your sufferings relate to our own, that we might better know your presence with us and be empowered to be more like you. For your glory. Amen. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Well, that's the only thing you didn't get from me. But that was the question that Mother Anne raised as she took us back to Calvary. And we found ourselves uncomfortably compared to the Roman soldiers, devoid of compassion, um, putting down people weaker than ourselves. And compared to the religious leaders, making a mockery of our faith by our actions and attitudes. Compared to the women, patiently and faithfully present. And I love how she concluded with that strong exhortation, for finally each of us must decide and take our place, us alone, at the feet of the crucified Christ. And I think the more self-aware we are, perhaps the quicker we'll go there to plead forgiveness, receive mercy, and start again. We go to the cross, for we are all sinners. And we are all sinned against. Should being sinned against drive us to the cross? And if so, what does the cross present that might heal and help us? That's my question. Have you been sinned against? Well, of course, we all have. But I wonder what comes to mind for you. Maybe when have you been betrayed or willfully misunderstood? Maybe sidelined or flattened by another's ego or ambition or just quietly neglected? Where have others failed to step up to their responsibilities, leaving you carrying the burden? Where are you suffering the consequences of another's sin? The cross presents God's forgiveness to sinners. What does it present to those sinned against? As we look at this cross and reflect on the events leading up to it, I think our reading from 1 Peter surprisingly suggests something wonderful. And I'm going to try and outline what that is briefly before presenting a contemplation exercise that we can engage in as we listen to the beautiful Spiegel and Spiegel by Arvo part that follows. So let's turn back to our reading from 1 Peter. Skip into verse 20. But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. Leaving you an example. So the commentator suggests that that word example um, the original Greek means something written underneath and copied over or traced over. 
Now, some of you know we have a craft table in the basement of our house. And the other day, my four-year-old son and I were making a card and sitting at the table, he was on my lap and folded the paper and he did this design. And then we have to write a message. And of course, he hasn't quite learned to write. So what do I do? I find a pencil and I outline the message. And then I hand him a marker. And he can scroll on top of it following the lines of the letters. In Peter's language, I left him an example that he should follow. He followed the outline. Well done. My approval. What is the outline that Jesus sketches for us to follow? Based on the events leading up to the crucifixion. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And I think Father Stevenson's dramatic reading and Anne's description of the abuse that Jesus suffered from the Roman soldiers was very vivid. And he did not return the abuse. And he did not threaten, nor did he run away, nor did he anesthetize the pain. So the message today is suffer in silence. No. It's not suffer alone in silence. In fact, it's the opposite. Let's imagine in the next few days someone attacks your reputation, questions your competence and integrity. What is your instinctive response? Is it withdrawal for a pity party? Is it reach for the red button for retaliation? Or is it just numb the pain somehow? What would empower us to respond with fearless patience and not retaliate? To show resolute compassion and not hurl down self-righteous judgment? To remain courageously in the painful present to speak truth with love. What would empower us? Well, here's what. Being aware that the Christ who was crucified for you is with you by your side. And you are not alone. Imagine him by your side in that moment when you first feel the impact of the wrong, and he whispers, yep, I've been there. I've been betrayed, rejected, willfully misunderstood. I've been let down. You're not alone. Entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. He sees, he knows, and he possibly sees more clearly than you do. And he can work through this, through you. He sees the end from the beginning. And I am with you. I've sketched out the pencil lines of your response. Here's the marker. The living, risen Christ, wearing his scars, identifies with our suffering. When I was a young teenager, I was in the car with my dad driving somewhere, and in a very rare moment of vulnerability, I shared a particular struggle. 
And it just made a world of difference when he could turn to me and say, actually, you know what? I kind of went through that too. Why? Why is that so healing? Why is that so powerful? Is it because we're made for community, not for isolation, and our greatest fear is being alone, unseen, unheard? The sin against are not alone. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. What I love is that Jesus' suffering wasn't random or arbitrary as Father Jonathan was elucidating earlier. In the divine economy, it was profoundly meaningful. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might be free from sin. Why would he do that? Why would he bear our sins? To bring us back to him to fling wide the door and arms outstretched, welcome us back, returning to the shepherd and guardian of our souls so that we might never suffer alone in silence again. Because we are ultimately never alone. I love the words of Psalm 73 from verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was stupid and ignorant. I was like a brute beast toward you. That resonates. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me with honor. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire other than you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The God who walks with us through the ups and downs of life, who holds our right hand, has wounds on his hands. He is familiar with suffering. We do not suffer alone in silence. He invites us to speak to him. And as Andy's base makes the steady progress of the ups and downs of life, of the ups and downs of Spiegel and Spiegel, Jean's piano walks alongside accompaniment. And this is rampant allegorizing here. But the divine accompaniment is in threes. Jesus brings us into relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We walk through life in that community. So as you prayerfully listen to the moves that will follow, invite God's Holy Spirit to accompany your spirit as you bring back memories of when you were sinned against. You could almost use those four highlighted in the front of the service sheet. Betrayal, denial, rejection, humiliation, and discern how Christ suffered in the same way, that his suffering and your suffering might be mirrored, reflected in each other. We do not suffer alone in silence. The cross reminds us of that. Amen.